Welcome to this episode of Broadway World Something Get Pop Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Timonini, and as always, I'm joined by the brains of our operation, Jennifer McHugh. This is actually the second half of an episode we recorded a couple weeks ago. We hadn't really had a full proper episode in a while, so it got pretty long, so we divided it up into two episodes. Last week, Jen and I discussed and ranked the major networks on television. This week, we're going to get into some theatrically related programs that have been on TV recently, and then we're going to get into the way we normally end an episode with show and tell. One caveat, however, we've recorded this episode on November 5th, pre-election, and now listening to this episode, I don't feel comfortable emotionally sharing my show and tell, so we're just going to skip over that. Jen has a good one, though, that'll hopefully make up for it. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm just too emotionally fragile to go there. Anyway, let's dive right in. Okay, we mentioned this show a couple of times in our discussions of networks, even though it's not on any of the networks. But basically, we can't get into a conversation about television right now without talking about what, in my mind, is the high watermark for television excellence. And that is Sundance TV's Rectify. Its fourth and final season kicked off last month. And uh, the first two episodes that have already aired are very different from each other, mainly in terms of who they focused on, but they were both incredibly powerful. The first episode of Rectify's fourth and final season focused just on Daniel living in Nashville um, at the, the new Canaan house, which after he agreed to a plea deal, he was told that he couldn't live in um, either the county or the state anymore, so he had to move out of town. Uh, the second episode looked back on his family in Polly and how they were doing since he left. Jen, you, you d- did a great description of it earlier when you talked about other shows need to have all these exciting explosions and twists and turns because those audiences can't take the quiet subtlety of Rectify. And that's exactly what it was. There was a scene in this most recent episode where Teddy was talking to his stepmother, who you remember in the first season, he called mom. And then she asked him not to call her mom anymore in front of Daniel. And he hasn't called her mom since. He's called her Janet ever since. They were sitting there in the kitchen. She was baking a cake. They were trying so hard to get back to what they used to have. And I wanted nothing more than for, than for Teddy to call her mom. And it was painful. And there was like maybe 20 words in the entire you know, three, four, five minute scene spoken. And it was just brilliant, moving, heartbreaking television. And as weird it is is to say this, brilliant, moving, heartbreaking television is still somehow heartwarming and cathartic. They are just doing an incredible job with their final season of television. Yeah, and I think um, from what you said, how it's different, and I'm starting to think, and I don't know if this is intentional, that the way it's going is that the series is starting to show that Daniel is going to be okay, but his family might be irreparably damaged. And that's, that's interesting. That's interesting. After those first two episodes, that's a really good point. So Daniel in his first episode, you know, is trying to adjust to life and he doesn't have his family around, which I'm starting to think it's better. It's better for him to not be around his family. You know, he has a job, he's in this rehab halfway house Um, He's meeting people. And I think in the long run, it's a good idea. And the only time he seemed to really stumble was when he found out his mom was going to come visit him. So uh, this is just my theory. I could be completely wrong. But also another thing is, is that when he was talking to the man at the halfway house who was and he told him he can't remember whether he did commit the crime or not. 
you know, he finally asked him, do you want to remember? You know, it's up to him to figure it out. And I wonder if that's what this season is going to be about, is if he can live his life not knowing whether he did it or not, or whether he wants to figure out once and for all if he actually is guilty of this crime. Yeah, that's a really that's a really interesting uh, thought. I um, I, I don't know. It's it's almost like I don't I don't know. That's a really interesting, and that's the thing that's talking about rectify is almost as difficult as watching it is because it so upsets the apple cart of what television dramas are. You know, in these other shows, you kind of know that even if there's a twist, you kind of know where you're going. With rectify, you just don't. Um, but I, I, I definitely think that you're right in terms of Daniel is finding a way to live with his life, whether he knows it or not. The fact that he's got a job, he's still super weird and an outsider at work. He's an outsider in his own halfway house, which we've seen can cause problems. But he's starting to find people. He, you know, the the, the Chloe, the artist who's on Masters of Sex as well, um, he's... You know, starting to find a community of, of, of his own. And I think that everyone back in Polly and his home, his family wants him to get back to a real life. But we see that his mother, Janet, is depressed. Um, Amantha is still like she, she said it in the episode. She said, I'm too, I'm too old to be this poor. Um, the only good thing that's really going on in Polly is that it seems like um uh, teddy and um tawny are actually kind of getting back to a good place which i would not have thought that i would have wanted so i don't know i it's just so brilliant and so layered and so convoluted and so nuanced that i will go wherever they take me if that's the the path that you described that they're going on awesome if they want to go somewhere else i'm totally fine with it because i trust them at this point it's true. It, it's it's rare to 100% trust the writers and, you know, the creators of a TV show so much that you just don't care. Um, and I felt that way about Breaking Bad. And I know you don't watch that and I'm still horrified. But that was the same kind of thing. Like, wherever you take me on this, I'm okay with. It's fine. Whereas I think you tend to get a little possessive at certain TV shows. You know, people did that with Lost and people did that with Twin Peaks. Like, well, I don't like the way it's going. Well, it's not really up to you. So <laughs> you can stop watching. But yeah. with this, I, d- I just don't care where it goes because it's always correct. Always. Yeah. And I, I will say we mentioned uh, Abigail Spencer, who uh, is the lead on the TV show Timeless on NBC. She is also she plays Amantha Holden, Daniel's sister. And we'd be remiss if we didn't also mention that Clayne Crawford, who plays Teddy, uh, Daniel's stepbrother, is the lead on the new Lethal Weapon show, which, Jen, you and I were both shocked that we both enjoyed. Very true. And talk about playing a different character. I mean, (laughs) he is becoming slowly one of my favorite actors because he just does it all. I just also saw on a speaking of watching random TV movies, I was watching a walk to remember and he played like a teenage punk in that. Really? I was like, oh my God, <laughs> he is everywhere. I will, since we're throwing out random references here, Jay Smith Cameron, who plays Daniel's mother, she was just cast in a revival of a Tracy Let's Play off Broadway. She's going to co-star opposite uh, Tony winner Reed Bernie. But I did not know. Do you know who Jay Smith Cameron is married to in real life, Jen? I think you told me, but I don't remember. 
Uh, I don't think I uh, maybe I did tell you. I don't I don't know if I did or not. But he, she is married to playwright and screenwriter Kenneth Lonegren, who uh, you know has written such movies uh, as The Gangs of New York, um, the Analyze This movies. Um, he wrote Manche- wrote and direct Manchester by the Sea, which is getting a ton of Oscar buzz this year. So wrote This Is Our Youth, which was a you know Pulitzer nominated. Uh, off Broadway play, so he's a he's a legit theater and film uh, no auteur, and uh, I had no idea they were married until this week. So, um, so yeah, fun times all around in the in the Rectify house. So I will just say that if you have not seen Rectify, there tw- there's 22 episodes in the first three seasons combined, and then there's just eight in the final season. You have plenty of time to watch all 22 and then watch the final eight. It is so worth it to catch up on this. Um, you know, you mentioned Breaking Bad. I don't, I haven't watched it yet. I'm literally looking at these sealed DVDs on my uh, bookshelf right now. Um, I didn't watch it because I didn't get into it at the beginning. This is a show that you have to start at the beginning, but it is such a worthwhile journey to get through the 30 episodes that they'll have by the end of the fourth season. So highly recommend as always, because we've done it like 30 times. All right, we're going to talk about two things that are theatrically tangential that aired at the end of October, one that we both wholeheartedly agreed on and one that we very much disagreed on. Jen, do you want to start with the one that we agreed on or the one that we disagreed on? Um, Let's start with the one we disagreed on so we can end on a happy note. (laughs) Okay. The one we disagreed on was Fox's remake of the Rocky Horror Picture Show, completely unnecessarily subtitled Let's Do the Time Warp Again. It starred Laverne Cox as Dr. Frankenfurter, Victoria Justice and Ryan McCartan as Brad and Janet. Um, it also had such stars as Adam Lambert, Christina Milian, Annalie Ashford, Reeve Carney, um, of course, Ben Vereen, and, and the great Tim Curry as the criminologist narrator as well. Um, Jen, I wrote a, a review for this where I basically said that it was a disappointing exercise in futility that was undermined by the fact that it w- it played things way too safe for Rocky Horror, even though it was on network television. I thought that most of the performances were not awful, but not necessarily good. I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. I was kind of in the middle, but I thought it was a, a an underwhelming missed opportunity. Sorry. So I take it that's not <laughs> what you thought. No, I enjoyed it a lot. Um, watched it with a group of people. We're all Rocky Horror fans, and I thought they did a really good job. I didn't like Magenta. I just didn't think that Christina Milian kind of got it. Uh, I thought Reeve Carney was great. Re- I would love to see him live. Reeve Carney is, let's be honest, he's turned out to be great in everything. Like, he was... A really phenomenal find on Penny Dreadful. Um, he obviously played Spider-Man and Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark on Broadway, but I mean, like, he's, he turned out to be a really strong, subtle asset to Penny Dreadful. So when he was cast as Riff Raff, I thought that was perfect. And I thought he was definitely one of the stronger aspects, um, of, of yeah, the movie. I loved him and I really, really loved, uh, Annalie Ashford as Columbia. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a different take on Columbia, kind of like a, more of a badass instead of this weak little girly girl. Yes. And I really enjoyed her interpretation of that. Um, but I don't have any complaints. You know, I think they they did their version of it. It was good. Of course, it's going to be tame. It's Fox. 
if it was on stage, it would be more raunchy. And that's what's great about Rocky Horror. But I didn't have those expectations going in. So I I just enjoyed it. And I'm not going to apologize for it. No, you don't have to. As you've said before, you, you know, you like what you like. And we want people to like everything they watch. So uh, that's great. I, I want to talk about two things, though. I was surprised. You said you weren't surprised that it was severely tamed down. I knew it would be tamed down a little bit. Um, you know, especially cause we saw press shots of Rocky wearing gym shorts, you know, gold lame gym shorts. So I was surprised by that. But considering what we said about Fox earlier, that they are kind of the risque network in terms of broadcasting network, I thought this was incredibly against type. I thought that they would try to push the envelope like they do on a lot of their shows. And I felt like they didn't. So I, I just thought that was, I thought that was odd. Um, the other thing I want to talk about is you obviously enjoyed Laverne Cox. I did not. I thought she was um, terribly miscast. Not a fantastic singer. Her her ballad at the end of the show was good. Everything else seemed completely unsuited for her. And she did this weird wannabe Catherine Hepburn accent that just wandered all over the place. Sometimes it was there. Sometimes it wasn't. It was distracting and it was bizarre. And I did not get, I did not have one good vibe from her. Not that you're supposed to get necessarily good vibes from, from Frank, but uh, that I thought was, uh, you know, it was a big miss, even though I thought it was a pretty brilliant move in the first place. Yeah. I thought she was great. (laughs) Didn't notice the accent at all. Really? Um, Nope. Never once. And the other thing is, is, if you think it was tame and I'm not saying anything against you, but when it was written, the idea of this was shocking. And now it's not, this is not shocking right now. And so I feel like them taming it down a little and just normalizing it was a great move. How do you mean? Explain, explain that. I mean, in 1970, when it was written, is it 1970? It was in the seventies. The thought of a man dressing as a woman and and ha- marrying a man and then having this sexuality where, you know, she will sleep with men and women and, uh, you know, encouraging people to find, you know, their sexual awakening. That was shocking. It's not now. It's no big deal. Hmm. And I think there and I don't even know if it was intentional or not, but the way I read that was this is pretty normal. It's just a Saturday night. And I just thought that was kind of cool. Huh. I hadn't thought about it like that. I don't know that. That I agree. I mean, I, I agree with what you're saying that it's definitely normalized. I don't know that I think that it was intentional. I don't, I did not read that at all that it was intentional, but that is an interesting perspective to look at it with. I will just say that I've seen two stage versions of the show in the past three years. One literally the week before this movie aired. They still find ways to make this show, despite the, gender identity and and sexual orientation issues much more acceptable now than they were four decades ago they still find a way to make it um body and and boundary pushing nonetheless but uh, i take your perspective on it because you are much more of a rocky horror fan than i am i uh, you know unless there's a really great concept or a really great cast i don't feel like i ever need to see it because there's way too much interaction with the audience so i don't enjoy that at all but I take, I, you know, as someone who likes it a lot more than I do, I, I, I take that under advisement. All right. So the one thing that we did agree on, and there's no shock in this one, that Jen loved the PBS documentary Hamilton's America. Uh, you knew Jen was going to love it. 
pretty much right off the bat, unless it was a complete disaster, and then she would hate it because it sullied the good name of Hamilton. But, Jen, you were surprised that I enjoyed it as well. Um, I thought it was a brilliant film. Um, obviously, it it's not about Hamilton, the show specifically. It's about the intersection of Alexander Hamilton's life and the show itself and how they both inform the America that we live in now. So I thought that it was done incredibly well. I, I thought that it was worthy of the boundary breaking subject of which it was based. And I think that this is going to be one of those documentaries that is shown in both history and theater classes from grade school to high school to college for generations to come. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> You're the one who wanted to talk about this and all you've got is, yeah, it was good. You are- well, you know, I loved it. Um, I I think I most enjoyed the footage of the actors going to these historical places, seeing David and Anthony and Oak and Leslie walking around the battlefield. And even them discovering, like, when he's saying retreat, they had to run three miles, you know, for them to have that realization, like, oh, these were crazy crazy soldiers and for chris jackson to take the tour of mount vernon and to see the slave quarters you know about this man that's revered and i just thought some of the things they were saying were very powerful that he plays him but doesn't apologize for him but also doesn't make excuses for him and david i thought had the best line when he said thomas jefferson did all these great things but also he sucks (laughs) and he's right you know all these people were so flawed and had so many bad qualities but they still created the country so it's this weird mixture of feelings of respect and disgust that you have to portray and i loved seeing that and how the how much into their characters they went and i was a puddle when chris jackson sang one last time at the white house with obama in its silhouette and him standing in front of a portrait of george washington and it was so emotional and I just thought it was brilliant. I was so happy for them. Yeah, they, they need some success. Yeah, seriously, th- this whole year hasn't been incredibly well timed and planned. And you know, they've now got tracks being released for the Hamilton mixtape. Like they, I think the PR and scheduling releases for this entire enterprise have been fantastic dating back to the days of the public. They've timed everything perfectly. They had a cast recording, then they had the book, then they had the documentary, then they had the mixtape. They are doing everything perfectly right, including throwing in the Chicago company and then the tour and then London. They've planned this out perfectly to get the maximum long-term widespread exposure uh, that you have to to make something a cultural phenomenon, which they have clearly done. All right, per the usual, we're going to close up the show with a little bit of show and tell where Jen and I auditorially show you something and tell you why it's important. All right, Jen, what do you got? Well, I will keep with the uh, Hamilton theme in my life and of this podcast. As Matt quickly mentioned before, the latest marketing plea in the (laughs) Hamilton phenomena is the Hamilton mixtape that we have been hearing about for years. This was literally what Hamilton was supposed to be. It was supposed to be a mixtape before they realized it could be a show. So this is a big deal. Lynn, um, he's got some friends. I think he's made some serious friends in the uh, music community. And he has compiled a crazy list of artists 
Lynn has assembled this insane group of people to do a um, reimagining of songs from the show, and including The Roots, Nas, Usher, Sia, Regina Spector, Kelly Clarkson, Alicia Keys, Jimmy Fallon. Can't wait to hear that. Ashanti, Jarul, um, Wiz Khalifa, John Legend. It's Chance the Rapper. Like, it's crazy. So he finally released, oh, we're going to do a pre-sale and then it'll be out on December 2nd. In the middle of the night, as he's living in London the other day, he decides to drop two tracks. Oh, my God, did Jen fly out of her bed. <laughs> so he released It's Quiet Uptown by Kelly Clarkson, and he released a new version of My Shot featuring Busta Rhymes. And I would like to play a little of that for you because it is not the song from the show. It is the melody and some of and the chorus from the show, but with new verses. I, I will say that this is it's um, it's technically it's the roots featuring Busta Rhymes, Joel Ortiz, and Nate Roos, and it's it's subtitled The Rise Up Remix. Hit it. Take it or leave it. I said I'm not throwing away my shot. I said I'm not throwing away my shot. Yo, I'm just like my country. I'm young, strappy, I'm hungry, and I'm not throwing away my shot. I said I'm not throwing away my shot. No, I'm not throwing away my shot. Yo, I'm just like my country. I'm young, strappy, I'm hungry, and I'm not throwing away my Rise up, if you're living on your knees, you rise up. Tell your brother that he's got to rise up. So, as you can see, I am very excited for December 2nd. Pre-order has been set. Uh, It's Quiet Uptown is really good. Um, I'm not sure how I feel about pop voices singing Broadway. I've always had an issue with that, so... It's a a little weird. It's a little different because I feel like Kelly Clarkson's voice is so big and powerful, and the arrangement is kind of... um, really kind of hard hitting that it it kind of seems like the antithesis of what it's quiet uptown should be. But Kelly Clarkson has a phenomenal voice. So I mean, it's going to be good either way, but it just seemed odd to me. The arrangement, not her. She, I'm sure she could have sang it in a more soothing, subtle way. I just thought the arrangement was a little unusual. It is. And that song's supposed to be so somber and heartbreaking and it does feel a little too upbeat for the moment, but you know, it's not the show. It's a reimagining. So it's fine. All right. Well, that's all we've got. Thanks for listening to this episode of Broadway World, Some Like a Pop Podcast. You can find all of our episodes on broadwayworld.com, and you can get new episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. So make sure to subscribe, download, and share the gift that is Some Like a Pop. Also, do our egos a favor and follow the show on Twitter at SLIP Podcast, and go over to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and rate and review us, please, and thank you. We invite you to get in touch with Jen and me and let us know your thoughts on the show's movies and topics that we discuss every week. And if you need more of me and your ear holes, check out Today on Broadway from Broadway Radio on iTunes, Stitcher, or broadwayradio.com. We will be back sometime soon with our next list of palooza counting down our top 10 favorite show tunes of all time so until then we'll see you around the broadway world it is a younger version of cvs cvs wow (laughs) (sighs) not Dwayne reed or walgreens (laughs) cvs oh you're the devil Did I mention the name of the show already? I don't remember. I don't either. (laughs) Well, I, I knew something was wrong if you were silent.